So welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores the feminine genius. How do we serve those who are suffering? In today's episode, Jackie Anderson and I are going to be discussing what it looks like to see the suffering face of Christ and to see the face of Christ in those who suffer around us and to not turn away. I love that Jackie mentions the novena of surrender to the will of God, which if you've been following the podcast this summer, you know that novena is following me around like nobody's business. I've been praying with it and it is life-changing. So I love Jackie and I's conversation. I cannot wait to share it with you. We're welcoming to the show, Jackie Anderson. Jackie, it's so great to have you here. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. So today we're going to be having a conversation about serving those on the peripheries of society, the peripheries of our culture. But before we dig into that conversation and your role and your mission, can you share a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman for those who haven't gotten the chance to meet you yet? Yeah, of course. So I was born and raised as a Catholic, cradle Catholic. Um, I went to mass every Sunday and received my sacraments. But outside of that, in my home growing up, it wasn't really something that was focused on. Uh, My family didn't pray together or anything like that. I did start going to youth group in high school, though. Um, And I went to a Steubenville youth conference, which I'm sure most people know what that is. And I had a beautiful experience with the Eucharist. And I was only 14, but I I really, truly felt Jesus's presence in the Eucharist and felt him tell me that I was um, beautiful and a loved daughter of his. And I really did hold on to that, but kind of the pressure as a teenager, and because it wasn't something that was super focused on in my home, that experience definitely kind of fell away. And I really did struggle with some pretty severe mental health issues as well growing up, which I am pretty open about. Um, And I just fell into that trap. I think a lot of young women fall into of just defining myself by my appearance or the attention that I got from guys and kind of like living by that. And I definitely, growing up, I I was always very skinny and I was always told like, oh, you could be a model um, by a lot of people. So that was something I just became hyper-focused on, um, which definitely led to an an obsession with um, fitness and my appearance and what I was eating. And that definitely just led to more mental health issues and um, being focused on myself. Um, But I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville, um, which I'm sure most people know what that is in the Catholic world. And I'm from Steubenville. So that was just kind of like the best option for me financially. So I just went there and it wasn't because of my faith or anything. But during my junior year of college, I joined the women's ministry at Franciscan. And that's where I made really holy friends, um, people who are really focused on the relationship with Jesus. And they really showed me what true beauty was and what true Catholic femininity was, um, which wasn't focused on your appearance or getting attention from other people. It was, they really showed me what real kindness, uh, compassion, and gentleness was. And I made really good friends with a sister. Um, She's part of the Franciscan Sisters of the Penance of the Sorrowful Mother. um, And they're based out of Toronto, Ohio, near Franciscan. Um, And she was just so sensitive and caring um, and just listened to me with no judgment about everything that I'd gone through in my past experience. Um, And she just really showed me what true Catholic femininity was. and the summer after that, I, I really encountered Mary. That relationship just kind of changed my entire life. Um, she really brought to me the presence of Jesus back into my life and the presence of him in the Eucharist. Um, and it's from her that I've just been truly learning how to live as a true Catholic woman, woman who has the courage to say yes and trust in God um, and focus on what really matters rather than 
the way that I look or what the world tells us we have to be as a woman. But that's kind of my story. Yeah. I ran into you on Instagram was where I first encountered you. And Mm -hmm. the captions that you shared with these beautiful images were so authentic and raw. But I, the one thing that drew me to them was that I could tell that you were sharing out of a place of healing um, and had this, this mission to share that with others, but also to welcome other women and men who follow along with your account into that healing too. So I'm just inspired by the journey that you've been on. And I love that it started at a Steubenville because that's also where my faith caught on fire in high school. I was at the end. I was a senior when I first encountered the Lord in the Eucharist in Steubenville. And so I just, I love when women also come on the show and also share that that was a point of contact for the Lord to touch their heart. Yeah, it really is. Those conferences are so beautiful. (laughs) They are. Yeah. So you're currently serving with Emmaus Ministries. It's a nonprofit that serves men who are in survival prostitution situations in the streets of Chicago. So can you share for those who, this is the first time they're hearing about Emmaus Ministries, what work do they do? So Emmaus Ministries was started by a Catholic deacon. um, And it was started back, I guess the roots of it started back in 1985 when his name is John Green. He was out on the streets serving with a ministry that serves women in prostitution. And he saw across the street, these men on the corner. And he asked, you know, who are those people? And the leader of the group said, those are the men that work in prostitution, but no one cares about them and no one talks to them. And he just felt this um, calling in his heart to do something about that. So he started officially Emmaus began in 1990. And Emmaus has gone through many different phases financially and staff wise, but currently we do four days slash nights of outreach in Chicago in the south side of Chicago and a neighborhood called Boys Town, which is in Lakeview, which is a very hip and popular area of Chicago. Um, And we just kind of go out and we talk with people. Uh, We go out on their turf, so we don't really bring too much. We're not too pushy about our faith or anything. We just talk with them about their interests their lives, uh, what they're doing that night. We just get to know them. And we talk to just about anybody, but the people in our demographic are kind of naturally uh, drawn to us. Um, And then we have a ministry center that's open. We're only open twice a week right now, but we're open from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., where men can come in and we eat a lunch together family style at the table, which is what something really unique about Emmaus. Um, And we just talk and laugh and pray together um, at the table. And we just kind of act like a family, which is what's been the most, um, special thing to me about Emmaus is that we don't just kind of hand out material items. We really sit with these men and become their family because most of them come from very broken families and we offer them pastoral counseling. Um, we help them get into treatment programs and find housing and deal with different legal issues they might have. We help them make doctor's appointments and fill out job applications and basically just teach them the things that their family, they could have learned when they were in school or with their family, but they just never got that kind of care or attention. Um, And we do help them with basic physical needs such as food, clothes, and toiletries. And we have washers and dryers and showers at our center, which a lot of our men use. Um, And we also have a prison ministry where we keep in touch with our men who are incarcerated through um, bi-monthly phone calls and letters, and we go on prison visits as well. So that's the basic things that Emmaus does. That's really beautiful. I love how it's just such authentic evangelization. It's meeting people where they're at. Mm -hmm. It's coming to them where they are and acknowledging where they're struggling and loving them, but then loving them too much 
to just let them stay there and bringing them in in the family. And I love that emphasis on the family because I think you're right. I think so. That's there's so many wounds that that come from our family of origin sometimes. And to be able to have a ministry that speaks directly into those and restores those and redeems those is really, really incredible. Exactly. Yeah. Almost every single man that I've met that comes to Emmaus is always like, this is my family. This is a family I never had. And that's why they keep coming back because we don't have the most resources or material things that we can give like other giant organizations, but that's really what they find with us and what has helped heal them just by being loved, something they never had before. And then through that, realizing that God loves them. And that's really where the transformation happens. When I was preparing for our interview, I went and looked up the different ministries that Emmaus does. And I saw this video that I'll plug into the show notes about a man who was volunteering with you guys. And he was asked to just just sit on the step and if, and be available for people to come up to talk to him. And he said, mm-hmm. I sat there and no one came and I sat there and no one came and I sat there and no one came. And beautifully, like the Lord was just working through him being there because people saw him sitting there day after day and waiting for him mm-hmm. and knowing that like someone's waiting, someone's waiting there for me. Someone cares to keep showing up even when I don't show up. And it would just remind me so much of the love that the father has for us, how there are days in prayer where Lord, I don't, I don't want to show up. I don't have time, but he still stays there. Or Lord, I know I should maybe pop in the adoration chapel, but I don't want to. I'm not there yet, but he still stays there and he still shows up. Mm-hmm. I've just been, just in my brief encounter with Emmaus, really inspired by how so much so you guys are channeling that love of the Father, the love that just shows up, the love that just has arms open. So thank you for your ministry there too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's something I was, I've always been impressed with about Emmaus. Um, there was a story of, it takes a long time to kind of create these relationships on the streets. And there was a story of one of our old outreach directors for over 10 years, he would just got buy this guy a cup of coffee and sit it on the end of the bench. And slowly but surely the man, you know, he would take the coffee. And then one day he said to the guy, you know, like, I like the hazelnut creamer, by the way, that's all he said. <laughs> And so he went in and bought the coffee and kept putting in that hazelnut creamer. And over 10 years, we finally, you know, got in contact with that man. He, they finally talked to him and he came down to our center. But it was just that continual showing up, doing the little things, like giving him a coffee um, that we were able to, able to kind of break into that man's life. And that story always just inspires me. Yeah, it's always a good reminder for I'm very... I very much live in instant gratification society Mm -hmm. that we live in today. And it's always such a good reminder when it comes to mission that things do not happen on our timeline and that usually humans and relationships take much slower than I would like them to. But it's Mm -hmm. such a good reminder that, yeah, that in that art, in the art of showing up and evangelizing that it really is, it's patience and it's, it's weeding out a lot of the selfishness in my own heart as well. Yeah, exactly. Can you share a little bit about how you found Emmaus Ministries and what did that call to serve with them look like in your life? Yeah. So at Franciscan University, um, over our spring break, there's different mission teams that go out across the United States and Central America. And I had a friend who was going on the Chicago mission and the Chicago mission is to Emmaus. And when she told me about it, I'd never heard of them. And she said, I'm going on mission to serve male prostitutes. That's the language she used. Um, 
for the shock factor as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'd never even thought about men working in prostitution. Like, of course that happens, but you just don't think about it. And she went on the mission and she just continually was telling me about her experience of preparing. And then after she came back about her experience at the mission, and I can't even explain it, just something inside of me lit up. And I suddenly was just passionate about this mission that I'd never even really thought about before. And I started researching on their website and looking into um, the program they had to invite people to come serve with them for a year. And something in me was like, this is just, this is what you're supposed to do. So I gave them a call and I didn't hear back for a couple of weeks. And I thought, oh, great. This is just going to be like every other application or job I've sent out. No one's going to get back to me. And I remember sitting in the pub at Franciscan and I just sent up the most genuine prayer. I was like, Mary, if this is something that's meant for me, what I feel deeply in my bones that it is, please give me a sign. And then 10 minutes later, someone from Emmaus called me and we had this like little 10 minute interview on the phone. And he was like, all right, well, you're going to have to come out to Chicago and um, yeah, interview. And I was like, okay. And for some reason, you know, I'm normally a very anxious person. And something in me was like, yep, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I was just very peaceful about it, even though I did have these, you know, anxieties kind of bubbling at the surface. There was just this deep peace and this drive where I just felt very passionate about serving men, which I'd never done before. So I, I went out there and I just felt very peaceful the whole time I was out there. I really felt God's presence with me. And I felt him just, you know, kind of whispering to me, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. And even saying, I know this doesn't make full sense. And I know this is kind of a risk for you to spend a whole year doing mission work where you're not going to be making really any money, but you know, I'll provide for you. And I just felt really joyful and peaceful there. Um, and just the men that I met, I just was really touched by them and just how good of people they were and the beautiful conversations we had. And so, yeah, I just packed everything up a few months later and moved out there and <laughs> that's, that's kind of how it went. <laughs> wow. So this conversation is about letters to women who are serving those on the peripheries. And it's inspired by this quote by Pope Francis, where he says, the word of Christ is intended to reach out to everyone, mm -hmm. in particular, those who live in the peripheries of existence so that they can find him in the center of their life and the source of hope. So you shared a little bit about what Emmaus does what do your days look like as a missionary with Emmaus Ministries? Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays are just office days where I help run their database system that keeps track of our men and what's going on in their lives and whatever new clients we may have. Um, I regularly take prison calls on those days for men calling us that are in prison. Um, I write any prison letters I need to keep up to date on. And I also help with the writing of our receipt letters that we send to donors. So I work on the more administrative side of things that help my other coworkers do their jobs better. And then on Monday nights, currently Monday night is my night on outreach that I go out in Boys Town in Lakeview, Chicago. And I go out from about 11 a.m. to 1 or 2 in the morning or 11 p.m. to 1 or 2 in the morning, sorry. And we just hang out and talk with people. Um, I talk with people I never thought in my life I would have relationships with, um, like drug dealers <laughs> and, yeah, people involved in prostitution, um, people that are trans, 
that dress up as drag queens. And I'm just continually shocked by the just beautiful and interesting conversations we have out there about God and just life and their interests. Um, and then Mondays and, or I'm sorry, sorry, Wednesdays and Fridays, um, our ministry center is open. So all day on those days, I'm in our ministry center where men are, can come in and drop in, which I've talked about before, where we have that family style meal and just kind of hang out with them and give them a place to rest and feel safe. So that's kind of what my life looks like on a weekly basis at Emmaus. So a lot of the people that you minister to that you mentioned, like drug dealers, people who are addicted to drugs, mm-hmm. people who are involved in prostitution, people who struggle with mental illnesses, people who are homeless. There's so many stereotypes surrounding those people. You wrote in this reflection that I'm going to post in the show notes. It's beautiful. And you said, these stereotypes and preconceived judgments that have been ingrained in our culture and in our churches keep us apart from people and lead us to simply assume who they are by the life they live. Can you talk about how working with Emmaus Ministries has taught you about the dignity of every human life, especially those who, like you said in that reflection, there's so much stereotypes around who they are based on how they live that exist not only in our in our society, but but also in our churches. Yeah. So growing up, I just was not exposed to people in these situations or really interacted with people that were homeless. I just kind of stayed in this bubble almost. Um, Even though I had family that struggled with these things, it just wasn't the same. Um, And at Emmaus, I've just really had the opportunity to sit with these people and have conversations with them. And I just so many times have had this experience where I'm sitting with them and I just feel like I'm talking to Jesus through them. Like I'm just seeing this beauty in them and these talents and passions that they have that just totally wipe away this caricature I have of, oh, this is just a drug dealer that's just, you know, starting trouble. This is just uh, some homeless person that um, couldn't provide for themselves, like didn't do the work that they needed to do because that's so much of the narrative that we hear from people um, about homeless people. And Um, it's just been really beautiful to relate with them. And I felt Jesus speak to me over and over again, like, this is my daughter. This is my son that I formed in their mother's womb. And I love them just as much as I love you and your family. Like, this is someone I'm deeply in love with. And I want you to sit with them and show them that love. Um, But I think the biggest change really is just being able to get to know them and talk with them and not just look away from them or walk away like we're kind of trained to do in our society. Um, And it's been really an honor to get to know these people that most people don't even look at um, because they're just such beautiful people that I've learned things from. And I feel like the rest of society is really missing out by not talking with them. And they're not perfect people. A lot of them have done some really terrible things, but I we've all done things, but our sins just aren't really on display as much as these people's are. They're more hidden usually. Um, and I find that I relate to them a lot more than I, I ever thought I would, even though our lives look very different. Yeah. I love that reminder to see a person and not an issue. I, I think it's tempting when you see someone I'm thinking about in my life, sitting on the street corner who's homeless and 
and just not knowing how to interact with them or overthinking how to interact with them. And so too, too often my tendency, you're right, is to look away and just ignore. And I read an article and the name is escaping me right now. So I'll link this in the show notes too. That was just such a good reminder that just recognizing someone's human dignity and looking at them in the eyes and saying good morning and that it seems so small, but in the face of the issues that they're facing or the lifestyle that they're living, but just that reminder that those small, just like we were talking about in the beginning, those small steps of recognizing their dignity and recognizing them. I love how you spoke into that. They're a daughter and a son of God and remembering that they, they're a person their person is such a good reminder I think for for any of us regardless of where our mission is just to remember that the people that we interact with are children of God exactly and I love that you mentioned that just the little things of saying good morning Um, I met someone out on the streets once on a night of outreach his name was Matt and he was out there for a few months he had a really um, terrible addiction to heroin what heroin which that drug just kind of destroys people's lives and it's really sad to watch. But he was saying that when he's out there, um, we were, you know, talking with him and we were both of us, my outreach partner and I were upset that we couldn't kind of help him more. All we could really do was sit with him and offer him some gloves and granola bars. And he said to us, this is the best thing you can do for me. Just talk with me, human interaction, because out here people look away from me like I'm nothing Um, you know, I asked for money and I would even appreciate if they just looked at me and said, no, I'm sorry, I don't have anything rather than just ignoring me because I, you know, end up breaking out in tears at the end of the day because I've just been looked at as nothing. And that really broke him. And he just appreciated us being able to sit and talk with him and look him in the eyes, even if we couldn't really help his situation much. So that was a big, that night made a really big impact on me. Yeah. Even just hearing you tell this story and hearing you refer to him by his name, by Matt, his name. I think it's so easy to kind of group everyone who is struggling with homelessness or those who are struggling in a life of prostitution as this, yeah. just, this, this group, this vague group of people who we hear about in the news or who we see on, on the streets. And there's such a power in putting a name and recognizing the name of the people who are on the streets and who mm-hmm. are who are in need of of help, but mostly of, of just being recognized as someone, as who they are, as their name. Yeah, exactly. So when we talked about what your days look like as a missionary and how you found about found out about Emmaus Ministries, you talked about how life of mission and fully relying on the Lord and trusting Him can it can be something that could cause anxiety. And it just requires so much trust and surrender of our plans and just total surrender Mm -hmm. into the arms of God. How do you battle that fear and anxiety and work to trust that the Lord, that he's going to show up and that he's going to provide you with what you need? Yeah, this is something I've definitely struggled with this whole year. And it's just been really a lesson. And I feel God every day calling me just to lean in deeper and deeper into this trust and learn. And something that's really helped me, and I say often, is uh, the novena of surrender to the will of God um, by Father Don Delindo Rotulo, I think is how you say his name. Mm -hmm. 
And it's just a beautiful novena. And at the end of every day, you say 10 times, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Take care of everything. And just those words are like a balm to my soul with my anxiety. I just say that over and over. And I feel such peace when I say that. Um, And I also regularly ask our Blessed Mother, Mary's a huge part of my life, um, to help me trust because she just exemplified the most beautiful trust in God in her life and in her. Um, fiat. And I I ask her over and over through the rosary. The rosary is one of the biggest means of peace for me um, that helps me through my anxiety, just asking her to help me trust. Um, and I also just reflect on the times in my life that I was very anxious and worried. And I look back and just see how God in his own time provided for me and was taking care of things when I couldn't see it and was stuck in my in my anxiety and I just really reflect on that. And I also just reflect on the, the beginning of my mission and the ways that God provided me throughout that time when I start to feel anxious now toward the end of my mission. And that's kind of just how I keep my sanity. I'm not perfect. Um, those normal kind of human anxieties still will pop up, but those are the things that I just go back to over and over. And I slowly am growing more in that trust and not letting that anxiety so quickly kind of take over. Um, But that's, yeah, just kind of what I've been doing. Yeah. I love that reminder in those moments of of desolation or anxiety to Mm -hmm. go back and think about the times that the Lord has been faithful. Because I think so many times when we're sitting in moments of anxiety or moments of confusion in our faith life, we think, God, are you going to show up here? Are you going to go? Are you going to show up? How are you going to, to help me out here? And coming to him with this petition, but then on the same side, not being able to recognize or just forgetting the times that he has showed up. Like we worry that he's not going to show up, but we forget all the times that he has showed up. And if he's continuously showed up, why would he stop? Like he's not hiding something from us. He, he doesn't love us in a human way. Like we love so messily, but he loves with a perfect love that continuously shows up and he doesn't change. So if he showed up for us all of this time and he doesn't change, he's going to show us, show up for us here. It may not be the way we want. That's my problem. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go according to my plan, but he shows up and he doesn't change. And so I love that reminder to just, to think back on it's, it reminds me of Ignatian rules for meditation for discernment to keep going back to those times where there was consolation and where he was, he was a faithful father and to remember that he still is that same faithful father. Exactly. Uh, Your words remind me of something my aunt said to me. I was just in the midst of this anxiety about my next step after Emmaus and just applying and feeling like nothing was working out and in the midst of midst of this anxiety attack, which I don't get very often this full on, but I was really having one. She just sent me this text that said, God would not have taken you this far and then just left you. Like he wouldn't do that to you. And for some reason, those words just broke through the anxiety. And I immediately, it just kind of like faded away. And I was like, she's right. He wouldn't lead me here where I knew I was following his his will and just leave me. So that's another thing as I feel very strongly that Emmaus is what he called me to. And that he's going to continue to provide for me. And even when we don't follow his will and we might mess up, he's not going to just leave us. You know, he stays with us and walks us through it and provides for us. Even if we've gone off the path, you know, if we, when we come back to him. So that is a really beautiful reminder. Earlier when we were talking about your work in the streets of Chicago, you mentioned about 
being able to look at these people and see Christ in them. One of the chapters of Isaiah that I worked through in this past Lent was Isaiah 53. And this verse, Isaiah 53, 3, describes Jesus. And it reads, He was spurned and avoided by men, a man of suffering, knowing pain, like one from whom you turn your face, spurned, and we held him in no esteem. Want to circle back one more time to this temptation to turn our face away from the suffering Christ. Maybe we're afraid that our compassion mm-hmm. is going to cost us too much, or we feel that we aren't equipped to help someone in their season of sorrow. Can you speak into how to overcome this fear of seeing the, su- the suffering of others and being able to sit with them? For listeners, it may not be mission work like you're, you've been called to. It may be within our own homes, with our family. It may be those we see on the streets of our own cities. It may be our friends. Do you have any advice for the women who are listening on how to see the face of the suffering Christ and to not turn away from him? Yeah, this is something, you know, I will always still struggle with, but I definitely have grown in that um, Adamaeus. Um, I've had some just very distinct experiences of God asking me to sit in the suffering with people, that experience I told told you about with Matt. Um, I had another experience with a homeless man, actually, when I was out during my interview. I did a, a, a night of outreach as a part of my interview. And we just kind of, we passed by this homeless man who was laying out, um, wrapped in ponchos, I think. It was like raining under a storefront window. Um, and we walked up to him and asked him if he, my outreach partner asked him if he needed anything. And he said, oh no, you know, like I'm fine. But for some reason through that man, just seeing him in that, that state of suffering and vulnerability, I just, I felt sick. I felt I think I wrote about this in a blog post on Emmaus, but I felt sick. I felt the weight of his suffering just kind of drown over me. And I just was like, God, like, I can't, you know, I can't deal with this. But I felt him saying, you know, sit with this, sit with this suffering. Um, this is, this is suffering that I'm suffering as well. And I'm asking you to sit with it and to let it motivate you to go out and to do this mission to help these people. And that was just a very strong experience I had that I continually remind myself of. I'm trying to think of just the right, you know, advice to give people. Something that's really helped me is to focus on the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary and to really walk with Jesus through his suffering. And I've always felt Jesus calling me to just kind of sit in suffering and to always unite my suffering to his and to really focus on those mysteries. And by doing that with him, it's just made it easier for me when I'm watching someone else go through that suffering to sit with them in theirs, because I know it's a piece of that suffering Jesus suffered on the cross, you know, as he took on all of our sufferings that would ever happen in the world. And I think that's something that's really helped me is to continually go back to the foot of the cross with Jesus and walk with him through his and unite my own sufferings. Um, and that's translated into my own life to be able to sit with people in their suffering, because it really can be a lot, especially for I'm someone that's very empathetic um, and takes on other people's suffering a lot. But just, you know, using that suffering that I take on and continually offering that back up um, to Jesus's suffering on the cross. And I think that's something that's really helped me. I hope that was helpful. That's kind of just how I've handled it. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I love how you've been talking about loving others and seeing them as seeing Christ in them and seeing that they are made in the image of God. But to love them as Christ, we have to love Christ first. And I love that reminder with the sorrowful rosaries. It's such a Catholic understanding of suffering that we don't suffer for nothing that our suffering is no waste and where do we learn that the most is at the foot you're right it's at the foot of the cross where to the outside world it looks so crazy that here god who could stop everything from happening in a heartbeat is hanging on the cross and inviting everyone to just unite their suffering with him and then there's the resurrection there's that hope that comes after that but this understanding that, that that suffering is something that there's a purpose for it. And so if we can recognize that with the suffering of Christ and unite to the suffering of Christ that way, when we love others, whoever that is in your life, being able to then love them like Christ and to realize that if Christ's suffering wasn't for nothing and we're called to unite to that suffering, that our suffering isn't for any isn't for exactly. nothing. Exactly. That's definitely something that's helped me through this whole this whole mission, just seeing such deep, deep suffering. And just realizing that 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 Jesus has you know taken on that suffering and is walking with them, and I can in some way help spread this message to them. But I've also learned from them. I've seen people so joyful that are out and are homeless, um, that are suffering, and you expect them to be maybe you know bitter and upset, and they're always like, "Well, I love Jesus. I have Jesus, and that's that's all I need." <laughs> and I'm continually shocked by that. And I just see these people themselves really uniting their suffering with Jesus. And they've gotten to this point where really all they have is to go to him. Um, And so sometimes I feel like they have more of an access point to him through their suffering than we do, who kind of may have more and are just distracted more by the worldly things. Um, That's something else that's really kind of touched me in my mission. When they're stripped of anything that they could cling to it or make it into an idol that that's this reminder that Jesus is the ultimate good. Yeah, exactly. So before you started your work with Emmaus Ministries, you hadn't ministered to men before and you wrote in a letter that was published by the Catholic woman that the idea of ministering to men would normally have been something that caused you anxiety, but that there was, you spoke into this earlier, there was so much peace surrounding that decision Mm -hmm. to work in Chicago with these men on the street. The one question that I ask women who come on this podcast is we explore the feminine genius. We realize that the feminine genius isn't this box that we have to put ourselves into, but that each woman is going to live this out in such a unique and such a beautiful way. Can you talk about how you live the feminine genius as a woman who is helping men find restoration and healing on the streets of Chicago? Yeah. So when I think of the feminine genius, um, I really think about all that I read from Edith Stein Um, talking about those four characteristics, which I believe, I know, receptivity, sensitivity, um, generosity, and maternity. And those are things that I've just really tried to live out in my mission. I think those things kind of naturally come to me as a woman. Um, Obviously, our sinfulness gets in the way, but they're things that I've been working to grow in since learning about them. And at Emmaus, I've really started to see those seep into my ministry here. Um, you know, as a woman, I think we really have this sensitivity to the needs of the world and we see them more, especially the people who are often left aside. Um, and I remember hearing people on the abiding together podcast. I love those women kind of talk about this and they were reflecting off of what they read from Edith Stein, but where men are more likely to get caught up in 
abstract ideas and concepts, we women are just more on this practical and personal level. We're really in tune to the needs of people and have this deep sensitivity to see their sufferings and then have this deep empathy for their suffering and allow that to help us walk along with them and be their companion and sit with them with this nourishing and maternal presence. And one of the my favorite quote, quotes from Edith Stein is um, that a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. And that quote just kind of encapsulates all that I've ever tried to do at Emmaus is just be this shelter for our men to come to, to have that comforting and nourishing presence to sit with them and hear their hurts and just let them know that they are known, seen, wanted, and heard, and that their struggles matter and that um, I care about them and that God cares about them and just try to reflect God's love to them through that. And I, of course, do see my male coworkers do this, but there's just a way that I and my other female coworkers that I've seen live this out beautifully, do it. That's just different. Um, it's really just that mothering maternal presence that we we have. And I, of course, always ask our Blessed Mother to help me to live out this presence and grow in this way because that's exactly what she did for me in my spiritual life was be that home for my heart to come to and to be nourished and lead me to Jesus. And that's exactly what I strive to do every day. And I'm obviously not perfect, but to just be that safe home for our men to come to. And I just see that they're drawn to that, um, drawn to speak with us in that way um, to the women. So that's kind of what I've just tried to do at Emmaus. That's beautiful, Jackie. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story about how you found Emmaus for the work that you do, for just encouraging us to see that the suffering face of Christ and just that reminder of just total surrender and the abandonment to his will. So thanks so much for coming on the show and and for sharing your story. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. If you head over to my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com, you'll find the show notes for today's episode with Jackie, which include links to Emmaus Ministries, Jackie's letter from the young Catholic woman, and of course, the novena to the surrender of the will of God. Normally, I ask that if you have a couple of spare minutes to head over to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. But today, I'm going to ask you to do something different. Maybe there's a woman in your life who's struggling with being single when all of her friends are dating. Maybe you have a friend who's going through a really rough divorce or someone who's searching for her passions. Today, could you share an episode of Letters to Women that you particularly loved with a woman in your life? I'll be back in two Thursdays with a conversation with Victoria Seacrest, and we're going to be talking about figuring out your finances and all of the taboo money topics. We're bringing them out and we're chatting about them. So join me here in two Thursdays to talk about finances and faith with Victoria Seacrest. So that's all I have for today's episode. Be not afraid.